Rebecca Lonigan is on my table today. Not even sixteen and gone too soon. Becca was, and still is, a very pretty girl. Her cheekbones are smooth and nicely shaped. Her lips are full and naturally pink. Her skin supple and blemish-free. And the curve of her still maturing breast is artful and well-proportioned. Had she made it to her twenties, I dare say she would have been perfect. Still, there is a special beauty to her as she is eternally young and beyond the reach of life's corruptive influences. She'll never know the impure heat of another's sexual desires thrust upon and within her nor the sense of betrayal a woman undergoes as her body tears itself apart to preserve the parasite forming within, or the feeling of wasting away as entropy steals her youthful vitality and leaves her to wither and decay for years. There is something enviable in a quick death, I think, in exiting the world while stealing your prime. What was it James Dean said? Live fast, die young, and leave a good-looking corpse. How terribly appropriate. I spend the next hour carefully preparing her. I take my disinfectants and clean her every orifice. Mouth, nose, eyes, and beyond. The body's natural bacteria quickly goes out of control once a person's time is done, and they can make a mess of the body in no time at all. It's my job to make sure that the last time they see her is when she is at her most beautiful. The very last time we see a person is the only way we'll ever see them in our memories, especially if it's someone we love. When they see her for the last time, I want her to remain perfect in their memories. First, I shave her completely. It's normal to make sure that there is no peach fuzz or stray hairs on the deceased's face, as that makes the makeup sit weird or can create strange shadows on the face. I go the extra mile and shave every strand of hair, even using a wig. Those are much easier to style and they hold their shape much better, not to mention the permanent sheen and absence of split ends. Every detail must be attended to. Once she's been completely epilated, I select a wig that matches her natural color and style it, setting it next to the table so it's ready for the final fitting. Next, I give her a complete wash, making sure every bit of hair or grime is removed. Then I give her a deep tissue massage to make sure that blood clots, lactic acid, and other fluids within the body don't interfere with the embalming process. I'm going to introduce a lot of embalming fluid into her, and I want to make sure her organs are saturated. It wouldn't do for her to bloat or discolor before her viewing. I also seal her more private orifices with cotton and wax, so that none of the formaldehyde escapes when I aspirate her organs. I remember my first time. God, what a mess. I didn't massage the body well enough, so the fluid got pressed around the organs and didn't permeate. Not to mention I lost half a gallon of embalming fluid from out his anus when I picked him up to move him. By the time he was viewed, he'd taken on a purple sheen, and he smelled like a trunk full of moonshine and paint thinner. I swore I'd take this task seriously from then on, determined to never see the deceased's family so distraught again. Usually morticians set the features next, but I like to save that for last. I don't mind if the body is watching me work. 
I take pride in my labors, and I think it makes them feel good to know that I'm so dedicated to taking care of them. Wouldn't you want to be sure that your body was in the right hands? People used to sew the eyelids shut back in the Victorian era, but in recent years they've taken to stuffing the socket around the eye with cotton, or even gluing the eyelid down. I prefer to put a colored eye cap over the eye. The resin finish holds the lid in place and helps the face look relaxed and asleep. They tell you that the embalming process sets the body and makes it impossible to work with afterward, but I've noticed the way I treat the body makes their final repose appear more natural, so I've never seen fit to change it. Setting the jaw comes next. They usually sew the jaws together with a hooked needle through the gums, but that seems unnecessarily brutal to me. Not to mention the risk of tearing. I certainly wouldn't want the jaw to pop open at a viewing and give the family an eyeful of shredded gums and exposed teeth root. I use an injector gun to fill the mouth with silicon rubber, like they use to take dental prosthetic maps or to make mouth guards. The rubber sets in minutes and it holds everything in its natural alignment. Then a little moisturizer to keep the lips and eyelids looking taut and alive. Now we reach the most crucial stage, where we aspirate and embalm. Pressing my thumb against the external carotid artery, then I take my scalpel and make a small incision. I press the cannula into the opening and release the clamp, diverting blood flow from the body around the cannula's Lopez valve. Only a few drops of blood are spilled, easily wiped away with a nearby cloth. Next, I run my fingers down along the interior thigh until I find where the femoral artery begins. Then I smoothly insert a sharpened Frazier aspirator tool into the meaty interior of the hip and thigh joint so that it penetrates the exterior iliac artery, allowing enough blood to pass through and into the silicone tubing to prevent air from entering the artery. I feel the thigh muscle flex just slightly. A purely automatic response to having six inches of steel penetrated, but nothing to be concerned with. The flunitrazepam might be wearing off, but the saxoclolene will keep the muscles and tendons relaxed through the entire process. Now we're ready to flush the blood and replace it with embalming fluid, but I prefer to aspirate first. It helps make sure the organs are cleaned out completely. I pick up my troker and press it under the umbilicus, feeling the metal point penetrate and slide into the abdominal cavity. The muscles quiver a bit, but provide minimal resistance, providing me with a snapping sensation not unlike biting through a piece of rare Kobe beef. I extract the troker screw, creating an open path to the bowel, and attach the aspirator pump. The first aspiration cycle starts, and instantly the tube is filled with partially digested food and waste. This bacteria-rich material can turn a human body into an explosive mass of fetid meat within days, even hours if not properly treated. I hear a diminutive squeak as the vacuum changes the pressure within Rebecca's body, causing her flat belly to concave slightly. I flip the switch and begin the second cycle, pumping antibacterial wash into her organs to break loose any remaining waste. And as her abdomen balloons, I hear that diminutive squeak again, so I set the third cycle. The aspirator uses low pressure to suction out the polluted fluid and gently inflate her organs with the lukewarm cavity fluid, sterilizing them to prevent gas ballooning or explosive breaching. I disconnect the aspirator pump and reinsert the troker screw. If I remove the tool now, she could leak. But if I let the breach site cure, I should be able to remove the tool and seal the incision with cyanoacrylate, 
or surgical superglue. I pick up two smaller trochas and repeat the process with her bladder and pancreas. Each time through in my flushing, each time noticing that plaintive hissing squeal of air, I am determined to prevent any bacteria-related mishaps with Rebecca's body. I want it to be perfect when her parents see it. As I move upward in her anatomy, siphoning the contents of her stomach, that damn diminutive squeak seems to be getting worse, and for a moment I'm afraid I've pierced through the colon and contaminated the entire body cavity. I set the pump to stage two, pouring cavity fluid into her stomach so it bulges in an almost pregnant fashion, before the rushing squeak of air becomes a gurgle. Her cheeks bulge outward, but the fluid cannot escape there, and the girl wretch gags squirts cavity fluid out of her nose in a desperate attempt to cry out. I set the pump to stage three and cautiously wipe the fluid from her face, her large brown eyes glistening as they met my gaze. She has watched me work, seen the worship and care I've given to every detail of her preparation, felt my gentle touch as I've administered my trade. The tears spill from her eyes, hot trails that run down the side of her innocent face. I am moved by her tears of gratitude. Pausing to wipe away her tears, I smile at her as I reinsert the screw into the final troger. There is no need to thank me, little one, I say. My job is its own reward. I was made to do this work, I think. Attaching the aspirator to the cannula in her neck, I release the valves and begin the final process. Embalming fluid pours into her veins, using the frantic beating of her own heart to push the blood out of the drain tube in her leg. The coolness of it spreading through her body. My chest swells with pride as I see her eyes flickering about, unable to contain her excitement as eternity races up to meet her. Suddenly, her eyes widen, and I see the moment when it happens. She sucks in one last breath. Her heart flutters. The pupils in her eyes go wide as the brown in her iris goes just a little gray. Her veins disappear into the colorless perfection of her ashen skin. The drainage tube in her thigh runs clear. Her skin turns cold. She exhales a long, smooth whisper of air as her soul escapes. One last tear rolls sleepily down her cheek, beautiful and melancholy. I make a note to paint and preserve it in resin, a bittersweet nod to the last vestige of mortality and frailty, concepts forever beyond her grasp. After five minutes, the transformation is complete. This soft, pink, vulnerable girl at the mercy of the world and its predators has become an unassailable work of art. She is cool and invincible, perfect and unchanging. I have given her immortality, as I have so many before her. Suddenly aware of my own weakness, I check the clock, and it's 3 a.m. I should have just enough time to finish up, get her dressed, and slip her back into her parents' home. I won't be there to see their faces when they find her, but it doesn't matter. I have so many patients yet to see. Thank you for listening. I've been your host, Tom. Don't forget to check out Sleepless Readings on YouTube to hear these stories first. And as always, 
Stay sleepless.